got three services today, so we're excited about that, and fireworks tonight, and we get to talk about the love of God, so that's a great day. Yeah, and they got you listed as first lady. I know how much you love that. Yeah. Titles. <laughs> yes, and you know what? We, I always love speaking to this crowd uh, the day after Georgia actually wins, and so it's... Especially when y'all beat like someone like South Carolina. I mean, and I'm a Georgia fan, so Georgia Tech, moral victory. You didn't play yesterday, so that was good. And uh, Florida lost. Um, I know we got some Tennessee fans in the house, and they won. And uh, uh, Auburn won. Go ahead. Four Eagle. I, come on, y'all are supposed to yell that, all right? I don't, I st- and I still don't get it. Y'all are the Tigers, but you yell that. So someone please help me there. Um, Michigan won, which, uh, you know, for me, and beat the Irish. And it's a so happy day in our house. It's a very happy day. And, and I know that we've got, we actually have a lot of folks in here from Ohio. And so Ohio State actually won. Y'all, congratulations, you beat your second middle, middle school team in a row um, this year. So, wow, someone really enjoyed that. Okay, so I'll keep talking about that if you want. So anyways, um, well... I want to read our mission statement to you as a church, and so if you're taking notes, great time to pull out your notes and start taking notes with us. Our mission statement says that we are here as a church to lead people on a life-changing journey to be, become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So what exactly are we doing here? Why, why, why did God drop this church called Westridge right in the middle of northwest Atlanta? Here's what we're doing. We're making disciples. We're making disciples. Where does that come from? Well, if you get your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, um, before he left us for the last time, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, some of you, uh, you may be in the room and you're asking the question, and this is a fair question, especially if you're not a church person. What in the world is a disciple? Well, we have defined disciple as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And our strategy for making disciples at Westridge Church is something we call the life change journey. The life change journey. And on the life change journey, all right, and I just lost my place, you have four words, all right, four words that are called love, grow, serve, and share. Love, grow, serve, and share. All four words come from Scripture in the form of a command. All right, well, we are commanded to love, grow, serve, share. All right, also you need to realize the journey is not a step-by-step progression. All right, now, I mean, we can look at it. We, we need to love God before we can move into some of these other places. But we don't love, then grow, then serve, then share. We want to, it takes, it, it's something that we want to be doing as a Christ follower. We want to be doing all of these things at the same time. Also, the journey to becoming a fully devoted follower, to becoming a disciple, doesn't happen overnight. It, 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 it takes a lifetime. The word's called sanctification. But you also need to know that the journey, the journey to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it is filled with trials, it is filled with potholes, it is filled with setbacks, it is filled with roadblocks, which we're going to talk some more about that in just a moment. It's filled with suffering, okay? So don't misunderstand. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are all called to be on this journey. Amy and I are on this journey together as a couple because we're married. But we're also on this journey as individuals. 
And we're called to bring others with us. We are called not just to be disciples, but to be disciple makers. Every single one of us in this room. Now, if you've been here at Westridge um, for, since 2007, you know that uh, in 2007 we changed our mission statement as a church. But what you may not realize is that two years ago we added two words to our mission statement. We added the words fully devoted. Now, why would we do that? Well, but we believe that we've been called to be disciples of Jesus, and a true disciple of Jesus Christ, okay, is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, in other words, we're all in. That's our goal. That's our mission. And I want to challenge you this morning, along with my wife, and then I want to challenge you over the next several weeks, all right, to make this your life's mission as well, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. See, when somebody says, I'm fully devoted to something, that means you're all in. Now, what does it mean to be all in? Well, it means to be dedicated. It means to be set apart. The Bible uses the word consecrated. It uses the words um, sanctified. We talk about holding nothing back. It's it's jumping into the deep with, with your clothes on like we saw in the video a few moments ago and not worrying about what the rest of the world thinks. You're all in. Um, Author and pastor Mark Batterson is actually coming out with a book here coming up soon called All In. And here's how he describes it. He says, the gospel doesn't cost us anything. Salvation is offered to all of us as a free gift. But it demands everything. It demands that we go all in. A term that simply means placing all that you have into God's hands. Pushing it all in. And that's where sometimes we get stuck. Spiritual no man's land. We're afraid that if we go all in, that we might miss out on what this life may have to offer. And he said, this is just not true. The only thing you miss out is everything that God has to offer. And the good news is, if you don't hold out on God, listen to this, he will not hold out on you. Now, I love this also. Last year, another guy by the name of Kyle Eidelman came out with a book called Not a Fan. And Many of you have actually read the book. I know that some of our small groups have gone through the Not a Fan study together. And, and here's how he defines this. The ba- basic premise of the book makes you ask a question. As someone who claims to have made a decision to be a Christian, receive God's free gift of salvation, all right? Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, or are you just a fan who admires Jesus but isn't ready to let him cramp your style? See, throughout this series and over the next four weeks, we're going to be asking the question, are you all in? Are you willing to follow Jesus on a life-changing journey, on a life-changing journey to full devotion? Now, I realize that on any given Sunday, and and this Sunday is no different, we have a lot of different crowds in this room. People come in with different ideas, and you're at different places on the journey. Many of you have made that decision to receive Christ as your Savior, but you've never really taken that leap of faith to say, I'm all in. And you're still wrestling with the word all, or even the words fully devoted. For some of you, you are wrestling with just the idea of Christianity in general. All right, you, you see a lot of, of other people that you might know who are, who are committed to, to other religions or other beliefs, and, and, and you're asking the question, what makes Christianity so different than all of these other things? And, and why should I follow Jesus? Why not follow Muhammad? Why not follow Buddha? Why not follow some other self-proclaimed Savior? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it, they all, those people seem to be all in. Are you willing to partner with us on a life-change journey to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? It, listen, I like what Andy Stanley says about Christianity and about truly being a fully devoted follower. He says, if a guy can predict his death and his resurrection and then pulls it off, I'm with him no matter what. 
All right? And that's what separates Christianity. That's what separates being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ from every other thing. Because Jesus not only predicted his death, not only predicted his resurrection, but he pulled it off. And because of that, I'm with him. Mm-hmm. How about you? Mm-hmm. All right? Some of you are going, I, I think I might be. All right. I, <laughs> not quite sure, but maybe. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And here's the deal. He didn't do that in the first service. <laughs> Well, y'all didn't respond like the first service did, all right? <laughs> and here's, here's where I am, and I'm going to tell you what, here's where Amy is, and here's where we are as a couple. I'm not just with him. I'm giving my whole life to him. Mm-hmm. Everything I've got, everything that we have. Like the disciples, I'm dropping my net. I'm dropping everything I have, and I'm following him with my whole heart. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room. Okay, because some of you are professional church people, all right? You've been doing church all your life, and so you analyze church, and it comes out in different formats and this and that. But, and whenever we talk about making disciples, and over the last 25 years, I always, there's an immediate tension that fills the room. Because many of you are, you're, we're all wired differently, and there's some of you that when we talk about disciples, immediately you think of discipleship, and you, you think the church is all about growing deeper, And others of you, you are wired for outreach. You're wired for evangelism. And so you look and you go, no, no, the church is all about growing wider. But I want you to know that in order to make disciples, both have to exist. Because you can't grow someone to become a disciple until they first experience God's free gift of salvation. Now listen to this. The tension between discipleship and outreach is healthy. And it's healthy in a church if it's balanced and if it's managed well. And part of my job as a pastor and along with our staff is to manage that tension. Now, before some of you go off, you know, in your minds going, well, I think Westridge does a better job of this one and tries to do this one or whatever, whatever it is that you think. Listen, I want you to come to all four weeks of this series because I want you to listen to everything that we have to say because there are some things about Westridge that you may not know about. You say, how do you know that? Because up until last week, there's some things that we've been doing that I didn't even know about. And, and I'm the senior pastor of this church. We do a lot of things in the area of discipleship and outreach that, that all of a sudden I sit down and, go, and I go, tell me about that. Or I have, our, I have someone sit up in front of our whole staff and I can see lights going on because some of my staff, they're so busy in what they're doing that they don't realize what every, you know, what's going on in every other area. See, love, grow, serve, share brings balance to the tension. It brings balance to the tension because we're called to do all four And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at all four of these things in a way that you've never heard from this stage. Now, some of you may be going, what what do you mean by that? Well, we're going to look at them differently. In the past, we've put more focus on on activities. I'm I'm admitting that, all right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But but it's, it's not the full picture. Activities alone does not make a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Activities don't necessarily create life change. Activities and involvement, I think they're they're part of the process, but it's not the whole picture. So over the next four weeks, we're going to lay out what the Bible says about each one of these words, what we believe, and then we're going to talk about how we should respond. But we're not going to talk just about activities. We're going to talk about about our attitude and about our heart. And then we're going to reveal some roadblocks that you might be feeling, that that you might need to be aware of. And then we're going to talk about some opportunities that we're offering as a church that we want you to engage in to help you grow in each one of these areas. So this morning, we're going to start off with the word love. All right. 
This morning, we want to talk about what we believe about God's love, and then what is our response to that love. So what is it we believe about God's love for us? First of all, we believe it's for everyone. God's love is for every person. You know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the whole world, he gave his only son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then God's love is unconditional. That means we don't have to do anything to deserve it. It's certainly undeserved. It's unchanging. And I love the fact that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us why we were still sinners. See, he didn't wait for us to shape ourselves up and get ourselves all right so that we could come to him, but he died for us while we were still messy. We were still in our sin. He came and loved on us and gave his son. And that's why there's nothing we can do to make him stop loving us because it's unconditional. And then God's love can be trusted. 1 John 4, 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. You know, today there, are, there may be loves that you have put your trust in that turned out to fail you. But God's love will never, ever fail you. You can bank on a love like that. And then his love satisfies us. I like Psalm 90, verse 14. It says, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. You know, God put a void in all of our hearts when he created us. And that void is something that only he can fill, something that only his love can fill. And so many times we try to fill the void that's in our lives with maybe things or work or uh, being popular or famous or a relationship or money or lots of these great things that do seem to bring us a lot of happiness and then they fail us because only God's love can fill that void that's inside of us. God is the only love that can truly satisfy. Now in English, we have one word for love, and we use that word for lots of different things. Like we may say, I love you with all my heart. And I love you. And we could say, I love the Falcons, or I love Starbucks. We use the same word, don't we? But in Greek, there are three words for love, and you may know those words. The first one is eros, and it's a romantic love, like a husband-wife love, or boyfriend-girlfriend. It's a romancy love. And the second kind of love is agape, and that's an unconditional love. It's what we think of a lot of times when we think of God's love. It's the kind of love that it's not so emotional, but it sees value in someone and chooses to value them or to treat them with great respect, and that's agape love. And then the third love is called phileo. Like phileo fish. Wait, no, I knew you were going to say that in this service. Phileo fish. Somebody bet me $5 that I wouldn't say it. I was thinking, should I say it? No. Pay okay. <laughs> phileo, and see, you'll remember this now with phileo fish. Phileo means a close friendship. It's the kind of love that you feel towards the people that are your closest friends. And a lot of times when we think of God's love, we think of agape love. And it's an amazing love that we love God with, like he's holy, creator, um, savior, and that's an amazing love. But as we grow in our love towards God, we, it should be our desire to love God with a phileo kind of love as well. That means that we become friends with God. Now, like, friends like to hang out and get to know each other. 
We want our friendship with God to be not just formal, but also close. Like friends know each other's heart or mind. They kind of know what each other's thinking. We get to know the heart and the mind of God when we read his word. And then when we pray, we share our deep desires and our thoughts with a God who becomes our friend. And then when we see a thread of God's faithfulness running through our lives, it's like we get a history with God. And then we learn that we can trust him. And so when we realize how much God loves us, it makes us want to be his friend. Um, James 2.23 says, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Yep, and when we realize how much God loves us, that's where this is going. That's where the journey goes to. It's, it's moving from that agape love of just that, that intellectual will and emotion to, Lord, I want to hang out with you because there's a friendship there. But listen, also... This is the theological part, even more so, the fact that just God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, I mean, he's the very essence of who God is, is love. Charles Stanley says, love is the Lord's very essence, and he is the source from which all true love flows. There are no restrictions, no limitations, and no exceptions. So, I mean, what we're asking, what we're talking about this morning, I mean, this cannot happen apart from God revealing himself because he's love revealing himself into your life. So what's our response to this? What is, this, what is our response to this God who loves us? Well, Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus is talking and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and, the, and, 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 and uh, great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Now, according to Jesus, our, our obedient response is going to demonstrate itself in two ways. First of all, we're just going to have a love for God. A love for God. Deuteronomy 6.5 first five books of the Old Testament is called the Torah. Moses wrote this. The people used to, they memorized this verse. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. The word love that Jesus is referring to, all right, as he read, from, was reading and recalling back the Torah, which he actually wrote himself. But when Jesus is talking, he's not referring to the same word that we use to describe our love for Georgia football or for the Falcons or for, you know, the, the Braves. Instead, it was a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It's the word hahav, and it means an act of the mind or will. It's an act of choice that chooses to follow. It chooses to be dedicated and committed to someone that is righteous and noble regardless of what your feelings might be at any given time. And as Amy mentioned a moment ago, the, the Greek equivalent of that word in the New Testament is the word agape. And it's, it's not the friendship love that she was talking about, the word phileo, or the physical love, the word eros. It, this is a love that intellectually and purposefully chooses to be committed to someone despite or in, in, spite, in spite of what you may be feeling about them at that moment. It's, it's, what, keep, it's what, what keeps marriages together. And so when Jesus is talking about and he's looking back at the Old Testament. He's talking about heart, soul, and mind. When to love with your heart is to, it refers to the very core of your being. To love with your soul goes, goes way down into the depths of your emotion. To love with your mind is to love with your, intellect and, your intellect and your determination. To truly love God involves thought. It, in, it involves determination. It involves commitment. And it involves action. It's a love that 
that we're saying is all in. And when you love God like that, it's expressed in many different ways throughout Scripture. However, I think there's a word that, that we see over and over again that really, I think, captures what it, what it looks like for us to put our love in action. Um, it's the word worship. Now, I know when a lot of you think of worship, immediately you think of singing. What is worship? Well, worship is a whole lot more than that. It's a whole lot more than singing. It's a whole lot more than what we just did up here a few moments ago when Stevie and, and, and Chaz and the guys led us. Matter of fact, there are nine different variations of the word worship in the Bible. And of those nine words, they're mentioned 377 times. Only twice does it refer to music. Worship is not just music. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we find that true worship involved attitude, it involved action. Wherever, you, wherever there is true love towards God expressed through worship in the Bible, there is always a sense of obedience. There's always a sense of reverence. There's always a sense of respect. There's always action that goes with it. So how do we define this word? Well, the Passion website says worship is our response both personal and corporate to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. We've said this for years here at Westridge Church. Worship is to express all that I am to all that he is and all that he does. Now I want you to think for just a moment of how those definitions, okay, how those definitions impact how you handle your time. Would you say that the way you handle your time is an expression of true worship, that you're all in as a, as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? The way that you handle your gifts and your talents, the things that God has given you, do they, do they reflect, reflect the fact that you're on a journey to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? How about the way you handle your finances? Do you worship God with the way you handle your finances? How about your relationships? Are you, are you fully committed to the biblical way that God has, has set out for us to handle our, our, our relationships. See, when my heart is set on worshiping God in the way that I live my life, you know what happens? And When I'm all in, it protects me from all of the seductive idols that are out there in the world that are constantly whispering in my ear, worship me, worship me, worship me. And I want to tell you something, they're out there. I mean, you just think about what, what consumes you, what consumes your time, what consumes your thoughts, what consumes your affections. Are you worshiping those things? Have you made those things actually a false idol in your life? See, when we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, everything that's part of our strength, that's true worship. Now, some of you may be going, Brian, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. That's why we call it a journey. All right? But the question is, or the question is are you moving forward? Are you moving forward on the journey? Or is your journey stagnant? Or are you going backwards? Some of you may be here this morning and you're thinking about this journey. You're actually moving backwards. Listen, if it's a stagnant journey or if your journey is going backwards, here's my challenge to you. I want you to think about, I want you to remember the moment in your life where you said, Brian, at this moment I can remember being all in. And I want you to think about where you are right now and I want you to repent. If, the, if you're sitting still, if you're going backwards, repent. Repentance means to change your mind, and it's such a powerful word that it means I change my mind, and it causes me to go in a different direction. And then once you do that, I want you to return. Re the Bible talks about return back to your first love. It's worship. And then, beyond that, we're called to obedience. Well, in the last series, we've talked a lot about legalism, and we've understood that our relationship with God is not based upon our performance. So we don't have to be worried or fearful that we may fall in or out of His favor according to what we've done. But I want you to take a look at these verses, 1 John 
5.3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And then John 14.15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You might be thinking, hold on a minute. I thought we said we don't have to keep this list of rules. This is all about grace. What's going on here? But here's the difference. Now, first of all, we know heaven is free. It's not about anything we could do. It's about what Jesus has already done for us, right? All right. Then legalism is man's attempt to keep a list of man-made rules in, in hopes that we might gain favor with God. And yet God says, you don't need to gain favor with me. When I look at you, I see what Jesus did for you on the cross. So we're already good that way. But real love is obeying God's word. Not a list of man-made rules, but God's commands. And that's what I love about this verse. He says, when you love me, you're going to keep my commands. Not you're going to keep everybody else's commands. But that shows our real love for God. And God's commands are guidelines for our life. You know, you know people that don't keep God's commands, and then their life is all messed up, and then they go, why is my life messed up? Well, because God's commands are to help us not mess up our life. And they're simple. They're not burdensome like legalism. You know, legalism like is a burden on us. But God's commands, they free us up. He says things like, children, honor and obey your parents. Students, that's God's command for you, is to obey your parents. He tells us to pray for those in authority over us, for our president. Like I think, do we just talk about him or do we really pray for him? That's God's command to us. He says, be morally pure in all that we do. These are his guidelines so we don't wreck our life. And he says, tell the truth. Be kind. Don't gossip. All of those things are in his word And when we do those things, it shows that we actually love God. Now, it breaks my heart to see people sometimes who will emotionally worship God on Sunday and then fail throughout the week to keep his commands. Because when we keep God's commands and we worship him in that way, and we're worshiping all week, then when we come in here, our worship is like an overflow of what's been going on all week. So can we love God? May we choose to love him with our emotions and through faithfully obeying his word. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So here we are, we're called to love God, with, which is expressed through worship and obedience. Now before I go on to the next part, I wanna say this. Sometimes in the church world, here's what we like to do. We stop at the love God part. We don't go to the next part. We stop at the love God part. And then we judge everyone else based upon how much we love God. I worship better than you do. Or I worship differently so it's better. Or I, I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I, I am a better obeyer than you are. Okay, I'm, I'm more into obedience. My obedience trumps your obedience. And here's what happens. In your desire, in your pursuit, in your commitment, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you accidentally become a Pharisee. I mean, your heart's pure, but we accidentally become a Pharisee. But I love what Jesus did. He didn't just stop at love God. He said, listen, here's, here's, here's the two commands. I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and all your strength, but I want you to love people. I want you to love people as much as you love yourself. And then in John, John 13 here, he said, a new command I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as you have loved, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now there's that word again, disciple. Fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is how people will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Now, I want to tell you something. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because this isn't just about a call some, to you know, love your neighbor, even though that may be a challenge for some of you, or love your spouse, or to love your kids, or to love your brother. This is a call to love your enemy, to love the people that you might despise. I mean, think about over the last several years all of the images that we've seen on TV of, of just people in the Middle East who burning our flag, putting up these big images of our president and, and burning that image. Um, we just, even recently, people in Egypt rioting in the streets. We're watching all of this tension go on right before our eyes. I mean, right now we are on the potential of, of declaring war with Syria. And we, we, we have images in our mind of children dying of chemical warfare. Or on the other side of that, rebel soldiers, if, if you've actually watched this, executing Syrian soldiers. And my question to you is, what goes on in your heart when you are seeing those things? Jesus said, this is, how, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Do you love those people? Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Doesn't mean you like what they do or like them. But do you feel a love toward, the same kind of love that God displays towards us? Now, I, listen, I'm not a pacifist. I'm, I'm sitting under my own preaching this morning when I'm talking about this. I've been to the Middle East. It's a struggle. And I'll also say, I mean, we're sitting here this morning in a, in a very red state, the state of Georgia. How do you feel about our president right now? When you see him on TV, when you see him talking, you don't have to agree with him, you don't have to like him, but what happens in your heart? What's the emotions that go on in your heart? What, what, what kind of stuff are you throwing out on social media when you see our president? I mean, is it hatred? It is, is it bitterness? Jesus says, this is, how you're gonna, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. I don't care what you feel about our president. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for wisdom for him. We need to pray for his spiritual life. We need to pray for his family. We need to pray for his wife. All right? We are called as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ to be different. To be different. And I know that some of you are struggling with that. Listen, when Jesus is on the cross and he's got all of his accusers in front of him, he's got Roman soldiers who have just beat him I mean, right to the point of death, who have now driven nails through his wrists and through his feet, who are hanging him up, throwing a spear through his side. Jewish people who he's spent time with, who are rejecting them. And what did Jesus say? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, some of you are into social culture and all that, and you think about Miley Cyrus. A few weeks ago on the video award, she did something called twerking. It wasn't tweaking. I, I still don't know what it is, and please I miss don't show Hannah me. Montana. All right, I, I, yeah, <laughs> Miley's still Hannah Montana to me. I, I can't. But anyways, and when you saw that, what did you think? What words went through your mind? Let me tell you what we need to be thinking when we see anyone like that. That's a that's a desperate soul who's crying out for someone to love, to fill a void. That's a desperate person who needs the love of Jesus in their lives. And immediately, instead of, instead of throwing out words on social media, instead of, you know, did you see and all, all this stuff we want to say? Our heart, because we're different, because we're, we've been called to love one another, should say and look and go, Lord, Lord, reveal yourself to that girl, to that guy, so that they can see, Lord, that that's not how they're going to find acceptance that's going to be f- fulfilling and satisfying. 
There's something wrong there. And that kind of love is, is not necessarily that emotional, warm, fuzzy love. It's a choice to see people the way that God Absolutely. sees them. Absolutely. So what are some of the roadblocks that you might be having this morning that all of us have towards love? Think about sin. Just sin. I mean, I'll tell you, sin will stop you from loving people the way God wants us to. Sin will stop you from loving God the way he wants you to. Anger. Rejection. I mean, you think about things, just all kinds of things in God's word where, I mean, just maybe failure. You have a failure in your life. And the very first thing that you think of when, you're, when you have a failure in your life is, Lord, you've left me. Lord, you don't love me anymore. I feel like you have abandoned me. First John chapter 4, verse, 20, verse 21 says this. I love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brothers, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what are we doing here at Westridge Church? How do we partner? How do we, how do we partner together? How do we partner with you on this journey to love God and love people? Well, let me tell you, tell you this. One of our staff members came up with a great quote. The church is a platform for response to our love for God and to love for others. So each week, I want to ask you to do two things. Come together corporately. Come to, as an expression of our love for God and for each other. Let's come together. You know, Amy and I were off for 10 weeks this past summer. And I want to tell you something, we missed this church. We visited a couple other churches and they were great, but we missed our friends. We missed those that were journeying together, those who do, who do life with us. So make it a, a priority of your life to come together every single week. And then come together in small groups. Come together in small groups. I want to ask all of our small group leaders over the next four weeks, I want to ask you to do the sermon-based notes. To every week for the next four weeks, talk about love, grow, serve, share. Let that be the conversation that fills the homes that you're in. All right? Because everything that we do through small groups or corporate worship, is going to, we're going to see opportunities for us to love, grow, serve, and share. We're going to have opportunities to express our obedience, to give in this service. Acts of worship. Things like baptism, that's worship. Things like when we take communion, which we do every single month in this church. All of those things are acts of worship and they're acts of obedience. We're also going to give you opportunities to break through the roadblocks. Community makeover. You know, sometimes we look at people out in the world and we, we, know we just go, the less fortunate, those who may be the poor and needy. And our immediate response is, go get a job. But we don't know their real story. But sometimes with the community maker, we get, we get to get in, into people's lives. Hope for Christmas. Last year, we, had to, we got to serve over 13,000 people. We don't know what their story is. We don't know how they got to where they are. But we get to link up arms with them and walk with them. And to hear the story, to engage in their life, to love them like Jesus loves them. Maybe you're stuck in a sinful thing, a hurt habit, something like that. We have life care groups that meet throughout the week. We'd love to connect you with one of those things. We have a strategy that we've been talking about over the last, the last year, actually, called BLESS. How do you engage someone in the community and begin to show God's love to them? How, how do you begin to love them? You begin with prayer. You listen. You eat. You serve. You share. And every, every Tuesday, I meet with our lead staff, and I, the very first question I ask them is, who are you blessing right now? And we go around the room. We talk about who are, we, who are, who are and it may be the beginning stage. I'm just praying for this person, or I'm listening. I'm eating. I'm serving. I'm sharing. Why? Why do we do all this? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. 
we're all in, fully devoted. Because a God who didn't need to, doesn't have to, chose to love us. I mean, he, he came all in for us. And so our response to him is to be all in for him. Two years ago, over the last, I think, six months or so, or Christmas or whenever, Amy let me put her foot up on the screen here. And uh, I wanted to show you a tattoo that was on her foot. And for several years, she had been wanting to get a tattoo. And I kept saying, Amy, wait till you find something that really, truly grabs your heart. And about two years ago, something really, truly grabbed your heart. And I think it grabbed both of our hearts, but it grabbed you uh, in such a way that you chose to pay for pain, which I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. Right. Well, Ephesians 3.19 says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And when I began to really let God love on me and understand that I was okay with him, he's happy about me because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, then I was able to relax a little bit. And I decided, you know, I want, I want to soak that love up. And, and when I'm 80 and I look back at this tattoo, I And it's thought, all wrinkly. It's, yeah, but it's on my foot, so that's a good thing. Hopefully it won't be too wrinkly. I want to know that I lived the second half of my life just being able to soak up his love. Rest and understand and relax how, much, how much he loves all of us. So the question here, here we are. And I just want to ask you, I want you to look at me for a moment. Every one of you. And I, want, I just want you to ask the question. Are you willing to be all in, in loving God and loving others? And what's the next step that you need to take this morning? I mean, is it a commitment to grow in your love towards God through, through worship, through obedience? Is it an act of repentance this morning? For some of you, for some of you, the very first step you need to take is salvation. Receiving the love of Christ who loved you enough to die for your sins, to do something for you that you could never do on your own, to provide forgiveness and reconciliation to God through his death on the cross. You can do that right now. Put your faith and your trust in what Jesus Christ did. Just right now, just while you're sitting here, just make that decision. Speak to him, talk to him. For some of you, it's, it's a commitment to grow in your love towards other people, to act differently towards other people. It might be the person sitting next to you. It might be your neighbor. It might be the way you feel about a certain group of people. I love this word repentance. It's a gift to us. And maybe that this morning you're stagnant, you're going backwards, or you've never started. Repent. Change your mind. It's, such a, it's, just, it's a God thing. It changes the course of your direction. For some of you, remember, repent, return. I'm going to ask um, Chaz to come back out. I want us to stand quietly. We're going to have life care volunteers and uh, ministers on both sides. If you need to come and pray right now, just say, Lord, here's where I am with my love for you. I need to move forward on this journey. Or, Lord, here's how I feel about others. Lord, I'm willing to be all in. It's going to be tough, but I'm willing to be all in.